So as I said, it should be a little fragrant. If you have a sourdough starter, if hopefully if you opened up by now, there should be about seven of them around the sanctuary. If you have one, could you lift it up and just show? And if you want to just pass those and people get a good whiff. <laughs> we can put them away in just a little bit, but I want, I want us to get a full sensory experience today. When you, when you make bread, it's not just a tactile or a visual thing. It's an aromatic one as well. You smell it. It can fill a space. Yeast is a living thing. My friends, we are continuing today in the series on the bread of life of these passages in the Gospel of John, where Jesus speaks of himself as the bread of life. We're looking at different parts of bread. Our first week, two weeks ago, we looked at, at the flour and hunger and how you can't just eat flour alone. You try and eat flour and it just cakes over your mouth and you're just like, puh, 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 puh. you need something more. As well as what our hungers are. What do we hunger in this life? What do we seek? Last week we spoke about, about water and flour and water. And over here we made, I made, I made matzah and, and Vicky cooked some and took it to the oven. And everyone was shocked that Vicky used an oven and she knows how to use it. <laughs> but it's true. We have witnesses. Um, and, and that was edible. It was edible. You could put it in your mouth, but it was still not that... A lot of you tried it. It was all eaten up. It wasn't very good, was it? It's just flour and water mashed together and rolled out. We also talked about expectation. What are our expectations of God? And how we must tell our stories of God in order to better frame our expectations. If we don't tell the stories of God in our life, we're going to be just left with murmuring about the things we don't really think about that much. We'll be like, oh God, why didn't you do this? Oh God, why didn't you do that? Instead of remembering what God has already done in our life. Today we are looking at yeast, and not really just looking at it, smelling it. Hopefully you've got a, you've got a whiff so far of that, of that smell of yeast. For most of human history, this was the way all bread was baked around the world. It was a, it was a sourdough starter or a leaven. And it was used. There's millions, there's millions of organisms inside of it. Because there's yeast everywhere. All around us, in and out, every day, you're breathing in and out. Millions of little, small yeasts. Every one of you, all the time. Don't think about it too much, you'll go insane. But, <laughs> but it's true. And this, this was a starter that I, I made it at, at our house here in Austin. And it took about seven days to do. And it, you mix, mix some, some rye flour and some water. And just let it sit. The next day, I took a little out, put a little more. You, it's called feeding it. You put a little more flour, a little more water. You let it sit. And the first day, it's like, oh, it just looks like paste. By the end of the week, it's, it's smelling right, right? Um, and you can, you can make bread out of it. It's just an amazing, miraculous thing that there are, um, about 40 years ago, they isolated uh, monoculture, the first, and that's where commercial yeast comes from. And so it's a monoculture. It's a single strain. And it's produced over and over again. Like almost all the commercial bread in the world comes from one yeast variety that was farmed like 40 years ago. But this is different. When you have sourdough, it's a different thing. There's millions of living things inside of it. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. There are places in the world where instead of having dog sitters, they have starter sitters. And people come and feed the sourdough when they go on vacation because it's such an important part of their life. It's a part of their culture, of society. It's, it's amazing. Um, life with God is not this static thing. It's a living 
thing. It's a living thing. It needs to be fed. Right? It needs to grow. When you feed a starter, when you're baking it, a lot of times with, with the recipe I use, you have about a big bowl and it's like, okay, take everything but 100 grams out and throw it away. 100 grams is not very much. And so you, it's a, I think it's about like, like five or six, you know, it's maybe a handful of cough drops is about 100 grams. And so you have a big bowl like those passing around. You have to take everything out except just a little bit. And you're like, every time I do it, I'm like, oh, no, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And it always does. There's always like, but so often, so often in our own life, we need to scrape out a big chunk of it that's just wasteful. <laughs> and then we got to put in the good stuff. we got to put in some fresh flour, some fresh water at 95 degrees. <laughs> and, and, it, and it grows back. We need to feed it. We need to feed it so it gets healthy and keeps on going. Life with God is not this static thing that we can just forget about. It's growing. We're either growing in our faith or falling back into the paths of self-destruction. We're either proofing or overproofed. It's a bread joke. It's good. <laughs> overproofed is whenever uh, bread has, has risen too much that it's going to start it's going to start sinking and lowering, and so it gets pretty dense. But but that's what can happen to us. In the Gospel of John, we continue these readings on the bread of life. The reading for today, John chapter 6, verses 51 through 58, is the second discourse in the Gospel of John. Some scholars think that this was a passage that John moved from the end of the Gospel to this part. Because unlike the other Gospels, John doesn't have a Last Supper discourse. There's not a Last Supper text in it. It just goes from... The, it just goes from Monday, Thursday all the way through to Good Friday and kind of skips over. And so there's some scholars who think that they took the Last Supper discourse and put it here. And so we have these two passages on the bread of life, back to back, that are similar but also kind of different. And it also, as, if we think about this could have been the Last Supper, we need to, to remember that in Aramaic, as all of you know in Aramaic, there's not a word for body. I know all of you knew this already. But Aramaic doesn't have the word for body. Like, like Greek does, like English does, but it has a word for flesh. And so Jesus probably didn't say, this is my body given to you, or this is my body broken for you. It was, this is my flesh. This is my flesh offered for you. Just like it says in John 6. The bread we eat is Jesus' body because we are offered him. It is Jesus' flesh because we are offered it. The bread of life is a gift of abundance of God. God doesn't need to offer it to us. We don't really deserve it. And yet we are still offered the real food of Jesus Christ. The food Jesus gives, the offering of, of himself, is not this extra thing for us. It is not whipped cream. It is not a nice spat of butter that you can put on if you want to or not. The life of faith is not this extra thing. Jesus doesn't offer us a hobby or an extracurricular activity. Jesus offers freedom from self-destruction in this broken world. We are offered freedom. In the reading from the Proverbs earlier, we have this wonderful text where wisdom tells us to come, eat my food and drink the wine. Abandon your simplistic ways and live. Walk in the way of understanding. We find sustenance in the wisdom as it grows in us, as we walk in the way of understanding. But we have to abandon those ways of self-destruction. Or else we can't walk in the way of understanding. We have to abandon that extra-proofed yeast or else it's not going to grow. 
The life of faith is not this static thing where we we decide one day, okay, I'm going to be a Christian and then I'm done and I never have to think or change. Again, I have stamped my passport to heaven and I can put it in my safety deposit box and then I'm forget about it and I can just do the things I want to do anyway. This is false. It's just like you don't eat once and then you're done, right? You have the greatest meal of your life and then you have to eat again. There's going to be another food. One meal does not sustain you the rest of your life. And then you have the greatest meal of your life, and it's amazing. And then the next one is probably not going to be as good, right? It's not going to be as good. But then you have to eat again and again and again. And if you have kids, you have to feed them, and sometimes they don't want to eat. And it becomes this adventure. You're in the middle of a a choose-your-own-adventure story, and you're always picking the wrong page. But it's okay. We have to eat to live. Our children have to eat to live. Our friends have to eat to live. Sometimes pride may keep us from the bread of life. Pride may may tell us that we're doing fine. We don't need it. It's extra. We're doing fine on our own. Pride may blind us to the goodness that is being offered. When we think we don't need it, we think we have everything in this life figured out, or we've just bracketed off the things we don't want to think about. We just bracketed off all the brokenness in the world. We just have our blinders on when we see any injustice in this world. We just ignore the issues in our life and just move on and try and just put a smile on everything and put a bird on it. And so we think it'll be okay. But God does not turn away from us. Even when we turn away from God, even when we try and pretend that there is no brokenness in this world. God does not turn away from us. And a lot of church talk like this seems airy or ephemeral. It seems like the words we say in spaces like this are only to be used in spaces like this. And then we go out those doors, and we have different words that we use. And we have different things that we do when we're out here, but when we come here, we have other ones. But Christianity is not about secret ideas or words to be used in one way and not in another. It is not about a secret idea for a select few. It is not secret knowledge that only a few have access to. All are offered life. All are offered concrete ways of love. We do things. Some Christians don't. And we, we need to say that. Some Christians don't do things. Some Christians stamp their passport. Some don't act as Jesus taught. Some abuse the faith. Some distort God's words for wicked ends. This has always happened. There have always been abusers of the faith. Good action is not good in and of itself. It has a direction and an intention About it. The bread that we can offer to those who are hungry is the same bread that we can take away from those who are hungry and throw in the trash. Holiness is not about being superior to other people, but being doers of the word, as James says. Faith has a function in this world of doing the things of love, not just getting a stamp, a living faith. And so we can all, we can have a life limited by the insecurity of what we don't want to do. A life closed off from the world. Or we can have a life filled in the ways of love. 
Or as we say in the church, a life of holiness. You can have a life limited by murmuring expectations, by just whispering under your breath the things about other people, things about yourself. Not really wanting to be in community or open dialogue, just wanting to get your word out and then running away. Or we can have a life overflowing with the actions of love. Life eternal is not some far away thing, but begins now in the ways of love. As John Wesley writes in his sermon on the means of grace, he has this wonderful dialogue. But the main question remains, we know this salvation is the gift and work of God, but how may I attain it? If you say, believe, and you will be saved. He answers, true, but how shall I be saved? You reply, wait upon God. Well, but how am I to wait? In the means of grace? Or out of them? Am I to wait for the grace of God which bringeth salvation by using these means or by laying them aside? Wesley continues, it cannot possibly be conceived that the word of God should give no direction in so important a point. God does not just say, okay, here you are, go love people and then not tell us how to do it. Right? Love is not this ephemeral concept in the Bible. It's a really concrete thing. There are really concrete ways of love. It's not this, you know, it's not Elton John in Moulin Rouge. That's what I'm going for. Love is a many wonderful things. Love lifts you up where we belong. All we believe in love. All we need is love. But it's not the Beatles. It's not this magical thing that covers everything possible good. There are concrete things in scripture of what love is. And God offers these to us. We can choose to use the means of grace or we can lay them aside. We can choose to see love as this ephemeral, airy thing that we talk about in in church or with family or people who we're close to, and then we don't talk about the rest of the time. We don't think has real-world effects in the way we live our life. We can choose to stand in the shower of God's love in this world, or we can step aside. And let God's love just pass us by. Wesley referred to these as the means of grace. They are not limits of God's way in this world. Means of grace are not works to earn our salvation. They are an understanding that God is already working in this world. And whether do we want to join in the side of God? Do we want to join into what God is doing? Or do we want to step aside and think we know better? And think we don't need that love in our life? And once we realize that God is love, that God has forgiven us, that God has forgiven each of you, that God has freed us, God offers us growth. God doesn't just offer us this static name tag. I love the name tags, but that's not what all God offers to us. God offers life. God offers holiness. We don't need to step aside. From grace. And grace is not just one more burden in our life. I know we're all busy. Our schedules are all full. We don't need one more thing. And the life with God is not just one more thing. Instead, it is a way of transformation. It is a way to see anew how we fit in this world. We don't fit as a series of obligations to ourselves, to our family. We're, we are not our duties to our neighbor. We are children of God to offer love in this world. 
The means of grace are concrete things, as I said. Wesley, the founder of Methodism, put them down to a few specific things. Reading, meditating, and studying the scriptures. That's a way of getting closer to God. You may open your Bible only once a year or only hear it in service, but it's still a way to get closer to God. Sometimes you open your Bible and it's a bunch of old words and they don't make sense. And yet still, by seeking, by intending to get closer to God, God is working through you. Another means of grace is prayer. And prayer so often can feel like that there's, oh, there's some people who are really good at praying, and then there's me. And there's those people, and they can just get up and they pray. They get up in the morning and they pray, and they're so good at that prayer thing. And then I just struggle to do it. And I just know I should. But prayer is not just this thing that's for only a few people and not for others. Prayer is not a performance sport, as the Sermon on the Mount shows. It's not something that there's an Olympic, you know, you don't get a gold medal if you're awesome at praying. (laughs) Prayer prayer is about opening yourself up to the God who loves you and remembering that God loves you. As Herbert McCabe said, prayer is more a conversation among lovers than anything else. Prayer is a way of getting closer to God. You You can just lift up God, have mercy, When you don't have words to say, you can say the Lord's Prayer. I know some of you have said it so many times in your life. That doesn't mean it doesn't have power. You can just say the names of people you love. Just say the name to God of people you love. And that is a means of grace in your life. Fasting is another means of grace. Fasting is such a complicated thing today with with so many many issues of, of diets and body image and all of this. But fasting is not just is not like getting a better self. Fasting is not trying to get the best diet you can have. Fasting is realizing that your body does not control you, that your desires do not control you, and that you can say, no, God, I don't need that to live. I need you to live. John Wesley fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays, but he only sk- he skipped breakfast and lunch and, and then broke his fast at dinner. Because he would say, and I think this is a direct quote, that Tuesday and Thursday is for the pagans. And so Wednesday and Friday, that was, was a different era. <laughs> um, another means of grace is, is regularly attending worship. Sometimes we come to worship and we're all set. We are ready to go. We are in a good place. We are ready to praise our Lord. And other times we were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I made it today. It happened. It happened. And that's okay. God loves all of those, and each of those is a means of grace. The fact of showing up on Sunday morning is a means of grace, that God is present to you. And we may not know it at the time. In the moment, we may not know how God is being present and growing in us and living in us. But we are when we intend, when we show forth the effort to be in the places where God is. As well, sharing our faith with others is a means of grace. Being willing and open that that this is something that's not just this private thing, that my walk with God is not just for me. And that doesn't mean you have to go around and talk to people about where they're going when they die. It means having having a confidence in God and not in yourself, that your faith is something worth talking about. That we have a lot of things that, that we can talk about in this world. We have a lot of, of government officials, of sports teams, of weather, people, you know, It's wonderful to talk about the weather. How can we get better about talking about who we are at our core? And not being afraid of opening up in that. That's a means of grace because it takes courage. 
It takes courage to realize God's effect in our life and the willingness that this is something that matters as much as the weather to me. Another, another means of grace is regularly sharing in the sacrament. We only have uh, communion once a month at this service, but at the 8 o'clock in the noon service, we have communion every week. Sharing in the sacrament, the Lord's table. It's also sharing in the sacrament of baptizing people. Being a community that baptizes. A, com- a church that doesn't baptize is not a church. We need to be in that. And the baptism is not just for the person being baptized, but for everyone who is present. Is a part of that service. And that is a means of grace. Studying the Bible together is another means of grace. Wesley differentiates this. There's, there's private study and corporate study. And it's a, it's, a defer- it's, a, it's, a definite, it's a difference, but it's really important. And then he gets to the ones that we often think about in this way. We often think about means of grace as, as visiting the sick. Visiting the sick is a way of seeing God. Visiting those in prison. Jesus did this a lot. Visiting those in prison is a way of seeing God. It's not a way of feeling good about yourself. It's not a way of getting ready for your heaven application and putting enough extracurriculars on that. It's a way of seeing Jesus. And not all the ways of seeing Jesus are apparent at first. And sometimes you go and do something that God has called you to do that you know is a means of grace. And it's an uncomfortable experience. But that doesn't mean God is not acting in that space. Caring for widows and orphans and widowers is a means of grace. Remembering the people in our lives who have loss, who are grieving, is a way of getting closer to God. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. These are ways of getting closer to God, of accepting God's love in this world, giving generously to those in need. We have an offering every week. We have an offering every week not to keep the lights on. That's really not the point. If that was our only goal, we would probably do it in a different way. We have an offering every week because that is a means of grace in each of our lives. That when we give to God, when we give to another, there is a grace involved that we can receive and grow in that. We can do these things. You can do these things. We don't need to live a static life. We can live a life that continues to grow. Our today can be different from our tomorrow because our tomorrow is filled even more with the love of God. And today we can begin to claim the bread of life for ourselves. We can strip ourselves of the sin that keeps us from love. We can take out that old starter. We can take it out and throw it in the trash or take it out And what I did today, I took out my starter instead of throwing it away, I put it in a bunch of different Tupperwares. And so I could change it, the ways of of sharing it. But we got to take that out from ourselves and put on the freedom that God offers, the freedom to love, the freedom to see love not as a burden, but as a joy. We can step out into this world in the confidence of children of God. We have been given freedom. We have been given a purpose. We have been given ways of love in this world. Why should we leave this place the same as we entered? Why can't we leave as new people, growing in grace and purpose? The means of grace are offered to us all. Let us accept them. Let us do them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.